Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In part two of this two-part chat with Paul, we cover his days working at McKinsey and how he managed to make the difficult transition into private equity as a consultant. We talk all about the private equity recruiting process, imposter syndrome, meditation, and how he was able to find balance. In this part two, Paul has some really great foundational advice for young, motivated go-getters, so make sure you all stay till the end. Enjoy. All right, Paul, so we left off when you had just received your offer at McKinsey, or you're just about to start at McKinsey. So why don't we start there? What was, what was it like? Yeah, uh, McKinsey was a great experience. I think it was definitely, um, you know, everything that people had promised in terms of the kind of learning curve that you get working in this kind of industry. Super smart people, really interesting, all kinds of backgrounds. Um, you know, you're kind of trained over the next several years to like think in a very structured way that kind of almost like the financial modeling equivalent to banking is like structured thinking and, and problem solving within consulting. Um, you're given way more responsibility than any 22 year old should have economy, I feel like. Um, but it's good. You learn a lot. Um, and it's challenging too. I mean, you know, you're as someone coming right out of school, like maybe you have some internship experience, but you really got to learn how to do this, not for 10 weeks, but for, you know, years. And how do you sustain that? How do you, you know, continue to grow and not be um, short-sighted? Because I think like a lot of people are constantly coming out of school thinking, okay, what's next, you know, like with all of these stepping stones, I think, especially for, you know, me and a lot of the students that I've, I've talked to over the years, like, once you finally get that full-time job, it's like the what's next mentality, you know, keeps firing and you got to just, you know, be present and focus on the projects that you're working on and really trying to get value out of those. So, yeah, I always say, I don't know how kids stay focused nowadays when they get the investment banking offer or consulting offer, or at least the investment bankers right after they get out of training, private equity recruiting begins for a job that's almost two years away. Yeah. And then even if you imagine, if you get that offer, how are you supposed to focus and work? and learn as much as you, I mean, I don't know how you can motivate. It's tough, but so, so you, you obviously, um, well, first off, you went all the way down to Atlanta, right? Yep. So was that a choice of yours? Tell me about the practice you were in the banking and payments practice and specifically, um, was that something you chose? Was it something they just pushed you toward? You had mentioned because of your banking internship experience, that might've been a reason they pushed you there. Yeah. So, so I got pushed towards that group. Um, 
and that was in part based off of just networking and like kind of the you know it's like dropping one of those like coins down that thing that pegs around and you never know where it's going to end up and mm -hmm. that was kind of the group that i landed on and um in in a way i think it was good to to start off in a in a group that i think tapped into a lot of the skills that i had developed out of uh my banking internship because you know coming into this role i think especially from a, a non-target school you know one other challenge you can face is feeling like an imposter you know like oh i've i've had all these conversations i've said the right things and now um i just you know can't get found out for the next few years and I think coming from a place where I was able to say, no, you know what, I, I did like this 10 week internship where I was the only analyst. I know I got great training, like the, the analyst and associates at Morgan Stanley that I worked with were like genuinely like very focused on investing in me over that period. And so like I, I came into McKinsey very confident in my like modeling abilities. Mm -hmm. um, and you know felt like okay well there are other people that are able to you know maybe problem solve more creatively than i can but when it comes to modeling like i feel super confident and i'm gonna really dig in there and i think that led me to kind of get off on the right foot in a way was this that, tough though because i mean it's a, it's a banking and payments practice so you're dealing with like a lot of fig i assume yeah. so like i assume the financial modeling is different well, there yeah, I mean, we didn't do as much financial modeling at yeah. McKinsey. So like, I don't think in the entire time that I was there, I had to build like a DCF or anything right. like that. Right. We did, in some ways, it's a nice combination because you get, you know, the real intensive financial modeling training in banking. And then once you're dangerous in Excel, you go to consulting and you'll get all of these random scenarios that, you know, require creativity in the way that you you build things. And so we were doing a lot of stuff across the value chain in either payments or banking and helping clients think about, you know, what markets they should focus on based off of growing volumes and fees and interest rates. And it's a lot uh, of strategy. So basically, yeah, but the database strategy. Yeah, exactly. And like, I spent a lot of time, like one of my favorite projects, I flew over to, um, to Europe and this was actually right before I transferred. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on a project where we were helping build a um, essentially a global forecast for the entire um, payment transaction space and all the different revenues and fees and profit pools that would come out of that. Mm -hmm. And um, basically got like, you know, a set of free weekends in Europe out of that trip and um, tapped into my strengths and really felt like um, that was, that was about like a year, year and a half in. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, I, I just felt like I was, you know, growing in the work that I was doing, and you're giving a lot of value for the for the client with that that type of work. Yeah, and like I was starting to get familiar with this type of industry, you know, like a lot of the the learning curve starts to level off, and so, um, if at that point you'd asked me what the next few years would look like, I would have just been like, yeah, I'm gonna keep growing in this role and probably remain focused on those clients, and then probably like go to business school. Um, a lot of my path after entering McKinsey is, is things that uh, would have surprised the me before those decisions, I think. Fair. So what was that first kind of surprise? Was it the transition internally at McKinsey? Yeah. And, you know, I think um, 
transitioning within firms, like de depending on the type of, of work you're doing, um, at least in my case, it was very light. Like it wasn't like I went through this intensive interview process. I mean, I think they kind of count on, you know, whoever interviewed you and that whole system to have done a lot of the quality control. Yeah. I think a lot of it was fit, you know? Um, so the fact that I had come from, first of all, I just, I found out like a lot of times McKinsey will reach out internally if there's a role that they're interested in filling, um, if they think that they can do it internally, because it just saves the recruiting process. Um, yes, yeah. Were you actively looking at that point, or it sounds like? No, I was. I was. Yeah, I was super happy with my. You my just group. send the trip to Europe. You were psyched. You. <laughs> it was like a hey, this email came through. I should. This you know this sounds interesting. Why don't I click it and see what happens and. And then it kind of creeped into a, well, I can always say no if, you know, it doesn't work out and, or if I'm not interested at the end. And so had a bunch of conversations with more and more people in the group. And it sounded like, um, you know what it sounded like? It sounded like those days where you're in the office of investment banking and you're modeling these mergers and all of a sudden there are these cogs synergies that you just, you know, assign a percentage to. It's like, well, the companies will figure that out. And like this kind of work was promising to like really break into that type of strategy. It's how, how do you, you know, create value in a merger setting? Um, one thing I really didn't appreciate was just how much, you know, internal plumbing goes on at each of these companies to make, you know, organizations run. So um, I, I couldn't have predicted that it would have been as interesting as it was, but I was intrigued enough to like take the jump and the next, year and a half, I ended up spending working on a lot of different uh, merger management type projects where it's like post integration. So after an acquisition, you go, yeah. in, you, were you going So you were going for specific clients, looking at the acquired company, figuring out how to way to get the systems to talk or, or transfer over and all that. Yeah. It's kind of a mixture of things. Cause like, you, was it the actual implementation or was it more the strategy around how you should implement? Uh, both. And I think you can think of it in different phases. So like, so we, for one, one example, one, one project I was on, we, we were there before close, like the client had, uh, had hired us before actually closing the acquisition. And then we were helping them think through, okay, how are we gonna across all these 16 different divisions um, that sort of overlap for both companies, but sort of don't perfectly align? How are we gonna functionally make sure that each of their you know, interdependencies and, um, you know, functions are able to track towards this, you know, operating single entity at close whenever we, you know, help them issue the press release and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. that was one example. I think there, there are some more value creation specific focus projects. So like, um, there's another deal I was on where we would, we came in, it was actually post merger, Mm -hmm. But uh, regulation had lifted that finally let these companies merge. They were they were kind of held separate, even though they had already gone through the transaction. And once that regulation lifted, McKinsey got brought in, and we had to essentially figure was out. Was it like an antitrust thing that it was in review or something like that? Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I can't say that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once once that lifted, um, it was basically like, okay, now we have all these groups that we expected to merge, here is our top-down assessment of what each of the synergies could be. Um, 
But first we need to figure out, okay, this group has this, this many costs associated with each of the different divisions. This other part of the organization has these costs associated with the divisions. And we're gonna now form a future state organization Who's going to claim what costs? I mean, there's a lot of you know contention going on in that kind of environment. Mm. People want controllable costs; they don't want uncontrollable costs. You know, th there's just a lot that goes on um, from a politics standpoint from these merger projects. Pretty, That's pretty right. stuff. Um, but you get to see a lot of value created because you know once you've worked through that process, you help them understand. Okay, who's owning what? Um, do you feel like there are, if, with the right acquisition, there is a lot of value created? Because I know there's a lot of arguments that acquisitions for the sake of acquisition, you know, a lot of them destroy value. Yeah, I think you have to be really strategic. And McKinsey will tell you, you know, that you really should, you know, hire a consulting firm that can help you do this effectively. I do think it makes a big difference. Um, a lot of the ones that I worked on, the logic was pretty straightforward where the value was. I think... Um, General rule of thumb is it's easier to create cost synergies than revenue synergies, and that's where things can get a lot trickier. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work that we did was on integration and cost synergies. Um, just to mean yeah, just centralizing the SGNA. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of like fixed costs that you can cut when you um, when you merge organizations, and and you know, sadly, there's a lot of um, you know pressure on the headcount side that you you can place and. It was, it was just really interesting seeing like the interchange between this model that says, hey, you should be able to cut 30% and then these division heads that were like, oh my gosh, like, I, I don't want to cut 30% of these people. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of contention, a lot of value that you can create for like the merger itself. Um, there's a lot of personalities you're honestly dealing with. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of contention in politics and everything. I'm sure it's, it's, it's very interesting though. So you were up in Boston for those, that year and a half or almost two years. Yeah. And so that first transition internally was a surprise in McKinsey. Your next jump into private equity was also a surprise for, you know, you were there for almost been there for about four years now. Yeah. So I was there for three years. Um, I think I was like a month under three years. Yeah. So like, when did you start thinking of maybe going by side or was it again, just a surprise fluke thing that you ended up taking? It was a surprise. So, um, I can't remember if that time I had already like bought my GMAT prep materials or, or what. Um, cause I knew like longer term wanted to do an MBA. That was kind of the path that I thought was logical that a mentor had sort of set for me. And so figured, well, I'm getting good experience here. Maybe I'll do an MBA apply next fall or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember it was probably one of the more intense projects I've been on. It was um, the winter of, I guess, 2016. Um, it, it was basically like that, that winter right before I was coming up on the summer of my three-year mark. And Got it. Mm -hmm. I had a project where I was traveling every Monday on a 6 a.m. flight to LAX. So Ooh, Boston to LA. Boston to LA. You land at 9.30 local time. And then I would drive for an hour um, to get to the client. And so, I, I mean, it was, just, it was a brutal experience. And then, you know, you, you try and get out on like a 4 p.m. flight. And if you can do that, you get back at 2 a.m., 
local time. Otherwise, you're confined to the red eye. So is that on this Thurs that's on Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, that's on Thursday night. Um, and this was also like just a really intense project. And so um, I didn't have the same like health issues I did at Morgan Stanley, but like my body was run down. I was like definitely feeling it. Um, mm -hmm. Wrong time to have like wine as your hobby too. Like, <laughs> it was, like I remember just blowing my nose like so much in these uh, like, sessions and stuff. And my, like, I say I say this in part just because I think like for analysts who are coming into these roles, you know, your your like personal burn rate is like such an important like variable to manage your first few years and just like figuring out what what works for you. And at the time, I like. I started to like dabble in meditation and, and like, you know, other things that I think were just like healthy hygiene habits to, you know, be, in addition to maybe being like goods in and of themselves, like just helpful things to like sustain you while you're trying to like crank on these projects that require a ton of travel. And I had this conversation with my girlfriend at the time, now wife, who basically was like, look, something is off. This was in like January or February. Um, you're like run down all the time. Like, I hate seeing you sick. Um, you know, maybe you can like deal with this on a daily basis, but like, I don't want to see you, you know, feeling sick all the time. So like something needs to change. And so, yeah, you're, you're traveling across the country twice a week. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember like coming out of that conversation, like, okay, well maybe, maybe I need to switch to some like local projects or, you know, just really stand up for myself in terms of like setting a, a boundary or something. Mm -hmm. I kid you not, like the, I woke up the next morning with a voicemail from a partner at the private equity fund that I went to insight, um, reaching out because I can't even remember how my resume or like contact information had been passed along to him. Um, but he basically, one I, of I, your 500 calls or whatever you had done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I wasn't even like proactively looking into private equity at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just like friend of friend of friend or something, mm -hmm. he reached out, um, liked my background, and Insight is a operationally intense. I mean, everyone says that, but you know, Insight was founded by former Bain consultants that like came in with the investment thesis. Hey, like a lot of these middle market companies are. Um, you know, don't have the, the tools or the capabilities to really create the kind of value that, that we're able to do at Fortune 500 companies. Why don't we bring this to middle market businesses? And so um, they love to hire from a mixture of consulting and, and finance backgrounds. And yeah, I don't know. I hit it off with the partner and I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I really like what you guys are doing. This sounds super interesting, but I just, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I just had a conversation with some people I care about and I told them I'd be, you know, making better health decisions. Uh, and so I just don't think that this is the right time to be recruiting for private equity. Um, but I'd love to stay in touch and maybe, you know, like six months from now or something, we'd love to like re-entertain this conversation. And he was like, yeah, it's not really uh, the way that we do recruiting. <laughs> But um, yeah, let's grab coffee next time you're in town. And I didn't, I didn't think anything more of it at that point. Like I genuinely, 
I was like, okay, this. He's this like, are you in or are you out? <laughs> Basically. Yeah, and I was like, I'm like, out. You but... realize what I just offered you, right? He's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and I'm like, I'm out, but you seem great. Let's get coffee, you know, when I'm in Dallas. Um, so why why would you turn down a private equity job coming from consulting? I know a lot of consultants are trying to make that jump. I know you were at McKinsey. You were at a great place. You were working on interesting projects, but you seemed like, you know, you were traveling. That you were on a really tough, um, with a really tough engagement. Did you see that as, I mean, wouldn't you see that private equity recruiting for, yeah, a few weeks of pain as a potential way out? Yeah, I, I sort of, um, I think like, so at that point, I'm almost 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you like chart this path all the way back to like my sophomore year, I think, or, or I guess junior, yeah, sophomore, junior year, like, a lot of a lot of other things were sacrificed in that time in order to like make these career leaps and like I wouldn't go back and and change things like I feel good about the path that I've taken but at the time it was kind of like and you know what I I have been making a lot of sacrifices and like clearly if I'm like feeling this bad then you know maybe maybe it's time to to focus a little bit less on my career and and more on myself and um and you felt like McKinsey would provide that a good, just because you were already there, wasn't starting a new job. Sort of a known variable, you know, I had built yeah. credibility, I was, the learning curve there. I knew there would be a new one in private equity. It was kind of like a synthesis of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's and fair. And so it's kind of like, you know, who knows what's, what's behind this door, uh, even though this guy sounds great. Um, yeah, and you had had some health issues in the past, so you didn't know what was it really like working there. Yeah, Although, and I did if I hadn't had that conversation with my uh, wife the night before, then I, I probably would have just said, uh, yeah, like I'm interested, like, let's see where this goes. Kind of like the past um, experience, but. Mm-hmm. Like the previous six years of your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you have this conversation, you're, he seems interested. You say, well, yeah, maybe in a couple, maybe in six months. So this was like right around February or so. Yeah. This was like end of January. Um, and so you're never in, he's, I assume he's in New York. He, he was in Dallas. So he's in Dallas. So you're never in town in Dallas, are you? So, so that's where I'm from originally. Okay. Yeah. I would go back occasionally, but, um, they have a, a Dallas and New York office. And so I worked in the New York office for three years. So like sort of spoiler to where the story goes, but mm-hmm. um, so we, we left it at that. I was like gonna maybe get coffee with him when, when I'm home visiting family or something. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden middle of February rolls around and they're doing their recruiting. And I've like rolled off my travel project in California. I'm like local and like, exercising again like we've got a good rhythm with work and I remember getting this email and it's from the VP who was leading recruiting at the time and he's like hey Paul uh, this partner passed along your resume and said that you're interested in our recruiting process Um, would love to like hop on the phone and chat with you about the firm if you want to like get involved in this recruiting process Mm -hmm. and at that point I'm kind of like huh did he just forget or did he just ignore my... <laughs> he just ignored yeah. and, like um, this kid can't be serious he's gonna take the job if we just talk to him yeah so very glad that uh whatever happened there my 
resume was passed along. And so the more people like at that point I was feeling better. I was like, you know, I had kind of shifted back into the mentality of, okay, like, let's see where this goes. And okay. um, I can always say no. And Did you, at that um, point, like when you got that call and were you thinking probably makes sense to go reach out to some recruiters as well to try and get to, into some other processes. Um, I, I honestly, I, I didn't want to just take any private equity role. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, th I think I kind of like set a threshold for fit at that point that was like super high. Um, and I was like, you know what? I like, I'm living intentionally with my like work-life integration, like never balance, but integration. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, okay, you know what? This firm feels like it's a good fit for my background. I'm going to see if I like the people. I'm going to talk to them. Um, are there other firms that you that are kind of look more for the operational operationally minded folk or the the strategy consultants? Are yeah, there, there definitely are. I think um, for the listeners, do you have any you know, off the top of your head besides Insight? Yeah. So um, Bain, right? Not, yeah. Not, I mean, not to like promote competitors, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that there are a handful of firms like kind of scattered like. Um, Windchurch is one that, you know, I know does hire from kind of a mixture of backgrounds and mm -hmm. is focused. I think you've seen a lot of smaller firms come up at like lower middle market firms over the past decade. Um, and, you know, you, you Google search operational intensive private equity and you can, you know, f find a lot of them with the same, the same tagline. But um, I would just recommend people like really look into the backgrounds and bios of the people leading those firms because you know you leave like a, a wall street type group or a, a consulting firm with like institutional culture and it really does get heavily shaped by whoever's at the top in these smaller firms so um yeah the, basically i i made that jump um mentally to be like okay i'm gonna start recruiting and um I was kind of more focused on, you know, angling properly and, you know, firing at the right time than like, you know, finding more bullets to, you know, shoot at other opportunities. So I remember like, you know, basically employing the same strategy I took when I pivoted from banking to consulting, like busted out the resume, figured out like, you know, okay, how, how, how did these look for private equity? Um, you know, you go to templates, you look at what people are using, <laughs> you find people who have been in the industry, you try and get their input. Yeah, our, um, our private equity resume template is really more banking, more banking heavy because heavy. that's yeah. who's doing it. So, doing you know, how to shape the transaction experience, all that stuff. But even for, cons I've seen consultants using it and, and, you know, instead of saying client engagement, they'll even call it transaction experience <laughs> to make yeah. it look more like, you know, um, operate um, financially. Um, yeah. You know, it's, Which is it's smart. It's smart. Yeah, you 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 definitely you know know your audience and you, you tailor it accordingly. But yeah, I mean, mine was just that. Like, I took a banking style resume and I changed select transaction experience to select project experience, and just you know tried to show a set of of experiences from McKinsey that fit well with this mm -hmm. um, this company. You know, like made sure I knew how to talk about the most recent deals and. Or, or like mergers that I'd worked on. And um, yeah, from there, like it just felt really natural. I mean, the, you know, you have to nail your two minute story, right? Like there's 
always that. There's the behavioral questions. You, you know, have to be prepared for those and then just brush up on, you know, LBO and technicals. But I think like the risk for consultants is to be too self-conscious a lot of times about the financials and over prepare in this area that's like not their strength. Like I'm not telling you, you shouldn't know your financial modeling. LBO modeling and all that good stuff. Yeah, but like, I think that becomes the focal point for a lot of people preparing out of insecurity when in reality you bring like a very different skill set to the table and to the extent you can, you know, effectively talk about that in your story, in your behavioral stories that you've come up with, that's where you should really be, I think, digging in and, and anchoring. Um, well, I think that really helps if it's an operationally intensive yeah. Yeah. fund, you can continually keep framing it as right. that value, that value because they respect it and they, they value it obviously based on who they've hired. Yeah. So yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you want to keep framing it around your strengths, right? Every single one of your answers, if you can bring it back to experience you had and whatnot, I think it's gives you a much better shot. So, so was this the only, um, was insight the only, firm you interviewed one, done. Yeah. one and done so tell me um the vp asked if you were interested you said yes what was the process like so how many days later how many weeks later were you invited in yeah what, how long did it take you to get on a call and then when were you invited in for yeah, a, i should have my homework before this call to just looking at a timeline but well roughly roughly yeah i think i think we talked sometime in the next couple of days mm -hmm. um so we had a good conversation. Did you feel like he was selling you on the firm a little bit? Like they really wanted you right from just from your CV? I didn't get that sense. And like having seen the funnel now, like <laughs> I know that he definitely wasn't selling me. <laughs> um, I think we talked over the weekend too. So like, um, I think he was just trying to get as many of these in as possible. <laughs> um, but like what he said struck a chord with me just based off the firm's background and, um, I liked that it was a Texas based firm because, you know, I could either be in Texas and make that leap or um, be in New York, which is a city where a lot of my friends were and uh, I could visit home, you know, whenever. Um, but so, yeah, I, I really clicked with just, I think the investment strategy and thesis of the firm, like, um, and liked the first two people I talked to, the partner and this VP and I think recruiting kicked off in the next like week or two. Yeah. And do you remember how many rounds or how that worked? Yeah. Yeah. It was two rounds. Um, nothing's normal about this process. So, uh, and how many, how many associates were they bringing in? Did you know that beforehand? I did not. I had no clue. Um, did it be two, three? So they ended up hiring two. Um, and usually what happens is like each, each first round, usually an associate will interview uh, six candidates, um, six to eight. I don't know how, how many you squeeze in, but then you kind of like force rank those and um, narrow it down to your Super Day group. And I, I think there were like eight to 10 of us on Super Day, um, so, something like that. And so this again goes to show you just the odds how are still really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I wasn't thinking about it from a probabilistic sense. I was just, you know, going along with this and mm -hmm. um, everything continued to make more and more sense the more that I, I went. So to just, again, hammer home, like how human this whole process is. So I happened to be in Dallas for um, 
it's actually, I can't remember if it was a funeral or like a ceremony or something. I was in town for the week that they were doing the phone interviews. And I remember the associate reached out to me and was asking when I was free for a phone interview. And I, I told him, hey, you know, I'm, I'm free, you know, basically whenever, <laughs> whenever you want to talk. But um, also, I happen to be in Dallas right now. So, you know, no pressure at all if you uh, just want to do this over the phone, but I'm happy to like meet you if you want to do that. And this was on a Thursday and the associate was like, okay, great. Uh, there's this bar and it is, you know, on this street, like let's meet up here for um, a, a drink and or for an interview on Friday afternoon. So um was it a drink or an interview? <laughs> uh, we had pretzel cheese dip and <laughs> we drank beers and I felt very relaxed the whole time, obviously. Um, I mean, it was kind of awkward because like I was in this, you know, suit. Right. And um, especially on Fridays, like it's very much consultant environment or, or, or culture. Like people are dressed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great conversation. It felt more just fit and conversational in nature. I'm sure maybe he like dug into my background to, to a certain extent. I think he like pulled up my resume on his phone or something, but like that was the extent of it. And we just had a really good conversation. And I came out of that thinking, wow, if, if the other associates are, are like this guy, then this, you know, and if the rest of the process is like this, then this will be a great experience. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just felt like the stories I was able to talk about from my background really jived well with the kind of work that Insight does with its portfolio of companies. Um, and so, yeah, I pulled up. I was like, well, I think that, like, that's the best I could have done, you know? So might as well feel good about it. Um, sure enough, like, a couple of days later, I get invited back for the super day in, like, a week or something. And that's when I like was like, okay, now I really need to pull up all my like old financial modeling guides and and stuff and like you know LDO modeling tests. Did you do any of those? To get ready. I did. Yeah, um, I did like um, a, like handful of videos, and then I did um, just a couple of like paper. paper uh, yeah, good stuff. And so, did they test you on that? They Wait, did. Yeah, there was a modeling test. Um, so. I felt that that went fine. I'm sure there were some bankers who blew me out of the water in that respect. But I had I had a little bit of banking experience in my background. Yeah, so. you did. You did. So so there was between eight and ten of you. A couple of you got offers. Um, as you're going through, the, how many partners? How many VPs did you meet? A, a couple other associates. We met the entire firm. Mm -hmm. People like twenty probably, twenty investment professionals or so. Yeah, twenty ish. Mm -hmm. um, everyone everyone from New York. Um, except for one guy who I think's wife was pregnant, flew in. Um, like it, it was, it was a whole ordeal, two on ones. Um, I want to guess I probably did like, yeah, eight to 10, uh, two on one interviews. And yeah, I don't know. I just resonated with the group and my background was a good fit, which I think like, you know, is, is something you can't really substitute for. Like you can sell, um, like that's why it's super important to start this stuff early on in your college career is like, you can try and sell yourself as much as possible, but if you haven't gotten the right experiences that make you a good fit for whatever you're going after, then it's just all an uphill battle, you know? Yeah, I mean, because the odds are already st stacked against you. You not only have to be 
good uh, with your EQ, with your, with your social cues and, and intelligence and speaking in the interview and be comfortable based on all the reps you did that helped you. But you also, right. you also just need to have the right background, period, <laughs> to even be in the yeah. room. So, yeah. so tell me, did you know like it was going well as you're going through this? Was there any like curveballs, like technical, like what's the IRR? Your money doubles in three years, what's the IRR or something like that? Yeah, I... Um... Or was it more like operationally structured? What would you do in this situation? Any sort of cases? That type of there, was a, there was a case. It was, um, it was pretty straightforward. It, it was more of like re- reviewing an investment opportunity, giving, giving your thoughts. Um, like, a little more consulting heavy-ish, kind of similar. Um, I, I, think it, I think it was probably down the fairway so that you either, either side could, could lend their uh, or demonstrate their skills. They gave that to us like, you know, a couple of days or maybe like the day before. Yeah. And I don't know. I just remember like um, going through that process of like studying that, uh, building out like a few quick pages of my own thoughts, which I brought in and apparently like a lot of people didn't do that. Um, but I've seen a handful of candidates do that over the years now, uh, recruiting for insight, like, you know, why not go above and beyond with that kind of stuff for an interview? Um, I just remember like feeling excited, just uh, rather slides, just like a few slides. Yeah. Just a few slides with like my, uh, thoughts on like the positives of the, of the deal. And you didn't feel like it was too try hard or anything like that. And doing that, were you like handing them out to the two in ones? You wrote a bunch of copies and stuff. I, I made like a self deprecating joke about like, Oh, you know, I'm a consultant, like, you know, love making pages. So here you go. <laughs> I think like, I don't know. I, I think it struck the right balance where they appreciated like the work that had, had been put in. Um, but yeah, it, it was, you know, a handful of, of behavioral questions, yeah, um, yeah. case model. And then, you know, you've got interesting partners at all these different private equity funds. Um, this has changed. So I'm not like spoiling anything for, for this partner, but uh, I got asked the question, who barring religious figures is the most influential person in human history and why and and you have to like you know give your spiel and and make your case for you know who who you think that is and like get dug into by the partner (laughs) so brutal yeah so so they like to make you think with some of these things yeah so um the offer come later that day as you walk out you shake everyone's hand thank you there's were the, was the other offer given to a consultant as well, or was it to a banker? Uh, the other one went to a banker, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I got I got a. I think it was an email later that evening, just like, "Hey, are you free to chat tomorrow?" And I I walked out like not feeling like it was in the bag, but I like had a good feeling. It was kind of like the first round where it's like, "Well, I think I've done as well as I." could do here and I feel good about the result um and so then the next morning we jumped on the phone and they told me that I was getting the offer assuming my references checked out and obviously that went fine and um yeah so I I basically and so it was for the New York office or how did that get determined like um I think that they asked me my preference um at some point during the process and I just said that I wanted New York and my wife's family's in Jersey. So I just, perfect. 
I knew that if I went back to Dallas, then I'd be in Dallas forever. And <laughs> I know that we're just You're yet ready. You're still young. Yeah. Um, great. So I guess going through this whole process, you made the jump. You didn't stress out. You were in a good place physically. You only recruited at one place. You didn't stretch yourself too thin. Do you advise other people to be that almost presumptuous? I'll call it a little bit presumptuous because you're so confident or was it just more like you knew your time would come later if it didn't come then? Yeah, I, I definitely was not confident that it was going to work out mm-hmm. like as I went into this process. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to inter- interview with one private equity fund. And- Cause you're so confident it's going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I think like, you know, there, there's, one of the terms that you like cover in MBA and like negotiations is BATNA, the best alternative to negotiated agreement. And I just, I think part of what really was working in my favor for this experience was that I had, you know, sort of gotten my footing. I, I knew that I was in a good place at McKinsey and I could be patient, you know, like I could wait for the right opportunity to come around. Um, when I would go for an experience, it wouldn't be because I felt like the bridge was burning behind me. You know, it's, it's because I'm excited about this opportunity and I'm going to try and put my best foot forward. And so I think like, you know, the mindset going in doesn't need to be, Oh, this job's going to work out. But I think you should at least have a signal going off in your head. What, like what the intention is behind. Not a panic signal. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think it definitely helps with your mindset going in. If you can be just super calm, just really be excited, like you said, going in to just almost look at the interview process like an experiment. Oh, this case is so interesting. You really just go into it with intellectual curiosity. Yeah. It's like it opens up your brain to not be so panicked. Am I delivering the right answer? And that comes across as confidence. So I think it can help. Question, McKinsey, um, your BATNA was great. You're at a incredible consulting firm did you feel like um there was room there to get promoted to continue to stay on and, and is that very common i know or you felt like business school would have been in the in the cards you know say a year to the following year yeah i think th- so i definitely felt like there was room for growth however i think the calculus is very different for someone coming from a yale that is you know in my role at mckinsey versus someone coming from a less well-known school. Um, and again, like Wheaton was a great experience, like great academics, like professors, you know, amazing in terms of how much they invest into you. However, uh, when people make snap second judgments about who you are based off of, you know, the brands that you have on your LinkedIn and your resume and whatnot, like, there's a lot more value to going and, and getting a really great MBA experience. And I, I think that was very palpable for me, especially, you know, I mentioned earlier, just kind of the risk of, of feeling like this, you know, imposter syndrome coming from a non-target school. Um, Wanted to get a target on your resume, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'll say this, I, I think, I think the more left brands, that's not necessarily the solution to the, to, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome. If, if that's something you have, like, I think really, digging into the work and like continuing to feel more confident in like what you're producing is ultimately going to be, be the way that you, you do that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was sort of like, yeah, I want to go get an MBA. Um, and, and so I knew I'd be leaving the firm 
whether it be three years, four years. Got it. Okay, fair enough. So you get the offer. Uh, Do you mind talking about, I guess, let's go to like pay from when you started at McKinsey, do you mind giving a range in terms of like bonuses or stuff like that? It doesn't have to be exact. And then I assume it was a pretty big pay jump going to, to PE, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, I think, I think regardless of where you go from, um, your first consulting role, you, you should probably get a pretty big pay bump, you know, cause you're, you're not getting the brand compensation anymore. Um, you're not getting the growth opportunities or optionality as much anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I think just loosely, I will say, um, somewhere in the range of, you know, like 70 to, um, yeah, call it, call it 50 to a hundred percent just to be super vague here. Um, yeah. For, for the bonus on, on the McKinsey's. Oh no, I'm I'm saying just in terms of like the the jump in in total. Oh, the jump in total comp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Which is a big jump. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and that definitely like felt palpable and like it almost felt more representative of the type of opportunity that I was getting. You know, more than than the pay bump. Like I'm, I'm a at the time I was a guy who's like you know single I, I guess dating my wife at the time but like no major expenses in my life you know so it's all kind of gravy after a certain point that, that just wasn't really a huge motivator but it did feel like oh wow like this signals did you, did you treat yourself at all to anything when you got the offer a nice dinner with your future wife or uh i did go on a trip to napa valley with a buddy um my my wife was busy working so she missed out on that but uh, I went with some friends to California to celebrate. Very fun. Very fun. And so once you started, what was the transition like, you know, going from McKinsey to a PE firm? Was it, was it relatively smooth because of your previous work or was, was there a little bit more of a learning curve than you expected in terms of like handling all the due diligence and managing those teams? Yeah. So, so insights pretty special in that um, the role is really split 50-50 between uh, working on deals and working on portfolio company stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might vary in a given month, but you know it'll average out over the course of a year or over a two to three year experience. And I felt like I felt like I was very well equipped to, to find ways to help out at the portfolio companies, to like work well with the management teams. Um, a lot of the value that I think I was able to add over my two to three years there was um, stuff that didn't necessarily get asked of me, but things that I, you know, figured out could be valuable. Um, to the port codes, you mean specifically? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and I think like you know that kind of work is a really um, helpful way to I think differentiate yourself at a like younger stage in your career because like deals essentially are, you know, they're not commodities, but they all have the same different milestones, benchmarks, and they're metricized. So there's a little bit of difference there. But I think, you know, if you're able to find really meaningful ways to impact a portfolio company and shift their EBITDA, like that's, you know, I think that's pretty special. I did have, you know, I definitely had to like, you know, brush 
first of all, brush up on the modeling stuff I had done mm -hmm. in banking. Um, and then I would say, you know, the first year, year to year and a half was like kind of learning stuff from a lot of my peers, like um, really great other associates um, that kind of helped me fill in the gaps where I didn't know stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think mentally there's a shift kind of around that year, year and a half mark where instead of, instead of asking like, oh, like I wonder what the right way to do this is and being concerned that you're not gonna do it the right way, you kind of have those fundamentals down and it, it, there's a shift to like, okay, how do I build this out in Excel? And how do I think of this creative way to toggle this or display this? And you kind of get over the hump of worrying about doing things wrong and are more like thinking about, okay, how do I do this creatively in a way that's gonna you know, be a useful. Yeah, that's really cool. So did you feel like um, you knew you were still gonna go to business school? you knew um, yeah. at some point. And so tell me a little bit about that thought process because it's not a, I mean, I'm not sure if Insight allows you to stay on. Is it a, considered a two and out program and then potentially come back? Uh, two or three mm -hmm. and, and out with, you know, some people getting offers to come back after business school. Expectation is that VP and aboves have MBAs. That's, you know, obviously not the case at all PE funds, but um, just, I think, given the thesis at Insight, that's important to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I came in, and, and it's, you know, you can get a third year promotion uh, if you do well your first couple of years. So I came in kind of like, wow, this is a huge opportunity. Um, I don't, like, I say all this stuff and kind of cushion it in retrospect, but, you know, a huge part of me was like, man, am I going to be able to do the modeling that's required to, like, you know, be successful in this role? course and scary yeah i was i was super intimidated and i think like you know you you get the hang of this this other role like i was just feeling like you know super comfortable in my in my skin at mckinsey um and, and it, which takes a lot longer in consulting because you're always getting thrown into new projects i feel like um but so i was kind of like well i'm gonna hold on for two years like this is gonna be a ride i'm gonna learn a ton and like you know hopefully I don't screw things up and I'm going to figure out a way to, to like make it through this. That was sort of my mentality going in. So very much from like a, an intimidated, but like super interested by the kind of work that they were doing. Did uh, you know kind of going into this, that it was extremely competitive to get a private equity role? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So you, you kind of had the perspective of like appreciating what was in front of you and how, how desired it was. <laughs> Yeah. And so it was okay. kind of like, man, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to like do a good job for these two years. And what about work life though? You know, you said you were worried about health or at least some people close to you were worried about health. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I think I just sort of set out to, to, to do things that kind of kept my sanity. So like my first year of, of PE, I did a lot of running and like basically every day would Insight was great in that it's not a heavy FaceTime culture because you're traveling so much. Like mm. if you're not in the office, it's assumed that you're at a portfolio company or, you know, at a yeah. management presentation. So, you know, you're given a lot of autonomy and I think it allows you to, if you're proactive about it, integrate, you know, things that you need to be doing like healthy habits for me. Like I'd get a, a three mile run in pretty much every day. Um, 
and I felt like that really helped, but still it was really like that first year and a half that I was just kind of like, I'm, I'm like learning what happens in this situation, you know, like I I'll, I'll figure it out and hopefully I don't screw things up. Yeah. You did better than me. I got fired within six months of my first PE gig. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Look at you now. So yeah, it worked out. It worked out. But uh, yeah, you, you never know. Sometimes you don't know what you're walking into. Sometimes you're naive as a 20. I was 24 at the time. I was, I was a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, you know, I think that imposter syndrome kind of carried with me and it was like, oh man. This I, non-target BS, man, this is the thing. It's like you'd already proven yourself at some, at a top consulting yeah. firm. You still had it. And I think, I think I like had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that, that after having done the investment banking experience, um, like in a way I felt like I had gotten an incredible internship because I was like the one analyst, right? So like mm-hmm. anything that has to get done during that 10 weeks that they want to dump, like came to me. So I felt like I grew a ton, but at the same time, I was always in the back of my mind. I was like, well, am I going to get really sick? And you know, this all fall apart. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so sort of like, okay, let's, let's hang on, let's do these two years and just get into a good school. Was that, was the fear of health more around, you were kind of getting, you got sick with the internship, you were getting pretty sick at McKinsey with the tough, with the tough projects, with the flights and the weather for a while there. Was it more like fear of the pneumonia coming back? Is that something that, that can, that can happen? Or what was the thought process there? Was it just like, so I had like a, a recurring sinus infections every like few months, um, probably like the first half of my twenties. Like, wow. you know, it turns out that um, drinking less is correlated with getting less sinus infections. That was working out, you know, like you were drinking think, pretty heavily um, throughout your like early finance day or consulting. No, no, like it, it wasn't even that. It was just okay. that, like. Um, I don't know, like a glass of the wine, not a big deal, but you just, it wasn't good for you. Yeah. I think, I think it just like sticks to me in a way it doesn't to most people. Like I inherited that from my mom and I didn't like accept it. I think <laughs> until a little bit later, like beer is, is like much less of a uh, challenge for me, but like, I just goes on the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I love beer, but it like, it does not sit well with me at all. I, I, I can drink uh, yeah. So like a huge part of your twenties is just like, you know, figuring out how your body works and managing. Do you ever that. drink any scotch? Uh, I do. That is great. And it, uh, it hits pretty hard the next day for me. Yeah. Well, you don't need too much. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've cut way back. And so I had a, had a drink a couple of nights ago with my wife and I remember it was just like, wow. I was like, I am, I am definitely 40 now. I turned 40 about a month ago. So <laughs> I feel like I could feel it. And I threw out my back. I'm just an old man. Um, yeah. So, okay. So you're kind of getting through this. You're like business school. I just got to get through a couple of years. So tell me about the whole business school application process while you're trying to, t- did you take the GMAT? What was that like? I'm trying to balance yeah. all this and then we'll wrap it up. I took the GMAT. Um, I took the GMAT as I was wrapping up McKinsey. I just kind of knew like, Hey, I don't want to be focused on this while at Insight, and I feel like there's a law of the universe that whenever you're planning to get a weekend of GMAT prep in, uh, a deal is going to come up that blows up your weekend. So, I, like I've seen a number of associates that just completely get derailed from their uh, 
prep because it's it's so tough to juggle both of those. So I was fortunate enough to like not have that issue. It was more like, how do I write good essays? How do I you know get good recommendations? And literally same process. Like talk to people who went to Wharton, for example. Like talk to people who um, you know have thoughts on how to write your essays, how to you know tailor your resume. Um, I didn't hire a consultant. Um, I I called my wife my consultant and she had a lot of good input. I do think that that's, you know, a good investment if, you know, you're in a place to pay for that and you just think about like the incremental difference that could have mm -hmm. for... They can make the difference between getting in and not. I didn't yeah. use one either, but I did have some friends that were at HBS that were incredible writers and helped yeah. me. You just, you, you tap into your network and, and people you know, are super helpful. So... I remember going through that process and um, yeah, you know, fast forward to, I guess it's December and I got into Wharton, was super excited. Um, and I, over the next like a couple months started to make that mental transition of, okay, I think things have gone well here. The conversation about, you know, opportunity return doesn't usually come until the very end. Um, Is that something you definitely wanted? Yeah, I, I really liked Insight, and um, and so I, you know, I was well because some people see like business school as a way to explore other avenues. Yeah. Other people are like they definitely want that post MBA private equity seat, and it's just a function of you know almost being forced to go get it. But also, they like the break. The break's nice too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I yeah, I think for me, just kind of seeing the VP role at Insight, kind of this quarterback type role where you know you're working on deals managing portfolio company projects mm -hmm. um it just seemed like a cool next step if that was something that would be an option and um yeah so so anyways that was sort of in the back of my mind like okay i need to finish well just to see what happens in like may or june um and then part of me was getting crushed by you know a couple of tough deals that were popping up and I, I just started to feel like run down again and like frustrated. And um, I remember buying a Headspace account over Christmas. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm tired of just feeling stressed uh, all the time. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and like go a little bit deeper into this. So I started meditating um, probably for like 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel way less stressed. Like, notice noticeable difference and i was like great i'm like not stressed at work now i like why don't i see what 20 minutes can do mm -hmm. so sort of like competitive person's mentality with you know this new tool being the meditation yeah <laughs> yeah exactly you get a 20 um, minutes you feel even better yeah at, at 20 minutes genuinely i started to feel like oh wow i I am now more engaged in this like management presentation about, you know, metal tubes than I was before. Um, I think you, it, it sort of helped me get past a lot of my, um, you know, self talk in my head and just focus on what was at hand. And I felt like a lot of creativity starting to like come out of that. Mm -hmm. And finally I, and this is as things are getting more and more stressful. And finally I'm like, you know what? I am about to leave Insight. Um, 
I have all this PTO that I've never used because nobody ever uses PTO. Yeah. And if they really mean it when they assign me all this PTO, then I'm going to take it and I'm going to do this meditation retreat for 10 days in April. And like, if they're upset about it, like they shouldn't have given me the, the PTO. And that was sort of my mentality. And so, you know, the next month it's, you know, all of this effort to make sure that things seamlessly are on pause for the, the 10 days that I'm gone. And I did this retreat and it, uh, kidding you not, I was like, it's called Vipassana. I don't know if, if you've heard of it, no, but where is it? Um, so there are centers all over the U S mm -hmm. um, I think this is just going to continue to explode in popularity. Um, but it's Vipassana. How do you spell it? Uh, v I P A S S A N A Vipassana. Vipassana. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It, it means it's translated to see things as they are. Um, okay. So very, you know, dramatic introduction, but basically it was like meditating for 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day. So, you know, you hear about bankers talking about, it's, you know, 16 hour days or whatever. This was like, you know, no reading, no writing, no talking, no eye contact and no dinner. You're fasting in the evening. And, you know, from start to finish, you essentially focus on your breathing. And then, you know, you're like, you're inflexible, like I'm inflexible, uh, sitting there. One of the exercises is like focusing on the pain in your body. And a lot of like what the retreat is about is like learning how to focus, learning how to be you know, fully present and then learning how to accept where you are. And so I came out of this retreat and I was like, wow, this is great. I, I'm really enjoying where I am at Insight. And the next few weeks I felt um, like so dialed into work and enjoying the kind of work that I was producing, I ended up deciding to not defer because I missed the deferral deadline from Wharton, but I unenrolled from Wharton and decided to take a third year at Insight and figured, you know what, like if, if I can do this third year, then I don't have to leave for business school feeling like this, you know, potential imposter who just like got through this two years. I can really make something of this third year and go into business school feeling confident. Mm -hmm. And um, the next year ended up being kind of all over the place in terms of the deals we worked on and stuff. But I'm I'm super glad that I decided to stay. Uh, I was fortunate enough for Wharton to readmit me uh, <laughs> the next year. Um, Although the, the invite to interviews went into my spam folder. And so I had this existential crisis um, the day the interview invitations went out, like, you know, what have I done? Why did I turn this down? Um, but yeah, essentially I spent a third year at Insight and really was able to kind of come into my own and, and really- a bit more about the meditation. You know, my dad uh, was a cardiologist for 30 years. He's now in clinical hypnosis. He helps people, you know, with meditation and self-hypnosis to help with pain and phobias and all that stuff. I think yeah. it's an important uh, topic that doesn't get spoken about too much on the forum. So tell me about like those 10 days in, like you literally didn't talk to anybody or was there like in the morning you could call friends and family and then everything put away? Like what, what was it like? No, so you like are you in a, in, you're in a facility? Where are you? Yeah. So I did this in Texas. Um, 
this was out on a ranch, like it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard that in, in some of like the Northeast facilities, um, there like the retreat centers there, people share rooms. It's like hard to get good sleep. Um, but I have my own room in Texas. It was great. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you don't, you don't talk all day. I mean, you, there, there's instruction during the meditation session. So you're like being told, Hey, you know, focus on, you know, the air coming in and out of your nostrils and like now, you know, focus on your body, that sort of thing. But, um, you only get two minutes a day to like have a conversation with a teacher. If you want to like ask questions, basically. It's, I felt like such an idiot on like, you know, the second day when I'm like, what have I done? Why did I burn all my PTO on this? Um, this, this sucks. Like I, and it wasn't even on board. It was like, I'm, my body is in so much pain from sitting this way, you know, for 14 hours a day. And so when did you feel like you were better? Like day three, four or five? So I like to say that the first like three to four days of this experience, was like one of the worst three to four days of my life. And then the like fifth through 10th day were like one of the most rewarding mm. phases of my life. Um, you know, you shift from the first four days, like kid you not, you're just focused on the air coming in and out of your nose. Like that is it. And the more that you graduate, the is more your, that you- Is your mind still spinning a little bit? It's hard to calm it. Like- Yeah. Yeah. And and by, by like the third or fourth day, you start to get the hang of it. And then you were like super dialed in by the fourth day. Like you're able to focus on this like little area right here. Just any little sensations coming your way. I like lost the superpower since the retreat. Um, pe people do like continue to meditate for, you know, an hour or two hours a day after these things. I try to keep up my practice, but uh, definitely not that good. But you're like dialed in by the fourth day. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, once you have this heightened focus, they have you shift your attention. So now you've got this giant magnifying glass and they tell you a point that you basically scan your body. And the goal is simply to remain at peace with whatever sensations you're feeling. And, you know, you're sitting in like cross-legged position for like hours. Like that hurts. Like your hips are killing you. I might actually die. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm too much back pain and hip pain, and I would be like in excruciating pain. Yeah, so the whole idea of days four through ten, and I don't if I had known this beforehand, I don't know that I would have signed up for it. But your the goal is to observe your pain mm -hmm. and to acknowledge it and be okay with it. Yeah, exactly, and kind of rewire your brain through that experience. Um, so I don't know if that like, like made a pretty dramatic difference. I mean, you made some pretty big decisions right after that. Yeah, I think I like probably had way more clarity in the moment than I did now. Uh, like kind of like <laughs> back into normal human life, but um, I still try and meditate um, great. if I can every day. But yeah, it like it really made a difference. I think it really made me think about not necessarily okay, what's the next thing? Like, what's the next thing that can be done? But what, you know, what, what I really need out of this moment, what's, what's worth focusing on. And for me, it was like, well, I've got this great job. And I think that if I spend the next year here, I'll really grow a lot. Um, and super glad that I did. I mean, it ended up becoming this meaningful senior associate role. 
I'm super obviously coming from a non-target school, super passionate about recruiting and got to be um, involved in helping run the recruiting for our associates for the next class and got involved in like the training for them. And so, um, yeah, it just ended up being a really rewarding year and got the VP offer. Um, Congrats. And, and am planning to go back after business school. So. Super exciting. Super yeah. exciting. Congrats. Yeah. So not surprising though, based on your past. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, before we wrap it up, looking back besides meditation, what else would you recommend to the young, young <laughs> folk kind of coming up, kids in undergrad, non-targets, target schools? Um, just looking back at your experiences, or what would you say? Yeah, uh, such a. And there's a lot, but like you know, if you can distill. Question. Yeah, I think um, maybe starting from just kind of the typical, um, you know, career development side of things. Like I, I do really think that the the law of compounding has an effect with career experience too. Like the earlier that you can be starting with this stuff and the sooner that you can be building experience, the more that's just going to continue to generate returns over time. So I think starting early is a huge part of this. Not, uh, the, not the advice of it'll take care of itself. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> no, yeah. Okay. I, I agree yeah. with that. I agree with that. Yeah. Nowadays. Um, I think appreciating the, the value of, of brands and really, understanding like how human people's assessments of you can be and how imperfect they can be. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of people at McKinsey who just assumed that I was going to be a really competent, diligent modeler because of the investment banking experience that I had kind of as a branding for me. And then, you know, in, in private equity, because of the McKinsey brand, people assumed, Oh, this guy will be able to add value at portfolio companies without literally knowing anything else about me, right? So I think just appreciating the value that brands can have and continue to generate is, you know, really important, especially early on. Um, you know, I will say one of the pieces of advice in that uh, first talk as a sophomore that I got that's kind of stuck with me, um, the, the mentor had us, we're all sitting there and he says, you guys are all 19, 20 years old. I want you to think back to when you were 12 and think about the way that you viewed the world, you know, your mindset mentality. You got it? Good. Okay. The next eight years until you become 27, 28, you're going to have nearly as much change as you did from age 12 to age 20. So do you really want to assume that this version of yourself knows what you want to do for the rest of your life and lock in career decisions. That would be crazy. Yeah, um, that. And so like, well, cause at nineteen twenty, you assume you know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm on the other side of that now. Um, you know, about to turn 30 and it's true. Like I really do feel like I've changed so much since then. Mm -hmm. And, and it's glad that don't worry. It slows down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think really, you know, taking your, you know, your career development is something that, that can change over time and not assuming that you know as a 20 year old what you want to do, but rather thinking about the kinds of skills you can build, the kind of options you can create for yourself so that, you know, over your 20s, you can figure out who you are and your, your 30s can really be guided towards what you want to be doing. I mean, 
Um, but I don't know, maybe that time frame changes, but that, that's kind of the general sentiment in terms of career development. I think um, from more of like a, a personal standpoint, I just, I think it's really easy to feel imposter syndrome or, or just, you know, feel like, um, you know, you'll be found out that you shouldn't be in these types of roles. And I think, um, you go through recruiting processes to get into these experience. If, if you are constantly looking for a reason that you're not going to belong, then you, you'll find it. Like that's, that can't be your mentality. You really need to be, um, you know, drawing deeply from, you know, the strengths that you have. Like in my case, I knew that I had done this investment banking internship and I knew that I could push through to that level and, and make it through, even though I still have these doubts. And so I think, you know, really working on your own self-confidence and, and not just assuming that you need to, you know, macho American, you know, power through mentality, but, but really, you know, take, take yourself seriously and, and, and your health seriously too. I mean, I think a lot of people that, that go into these roles don't like have the same volatility that I did, but still like, you know, the amount that you sleep does make a difference. The amount that you exercise makes a huge impact. There are tools like meditation that can really help. Um, you know, I, I think burnout is going to be a, a really, it has become a huge part of this generation. And I think that's probably not going to change. So being strategic about keeping good habits is, is not just like a necessity for yourself. You can think of it as an edge if that's the mentality you want to take. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll like stop my monologue, but I, I just, I do think that um, there's a lot of like personal stuff that can get neglected in these roles that um, not only can make life tougher, but really does keep you back sometimes from like doing your best work at work, you know? For sure. Couldn't agree more. I think, uh, Paul, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. This, this, turned, into a two part, this turned into a two-part series because I loved what you were saying. So, so much. So thanks again for spending so much time with me and with the yeah, this has been fun. and uh, hopefully maybe, maybe in a few years, once your partner will uh, have you back or something. Yeah. yeah. We'd love to catch up soon. All right. And thanks to you, my listeners at wall street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way. Patrick at wall street Oasis.com. And until next time.